It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Sliding into the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Our final of three hours. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. GuyBensonShow.com if you ever miss any moment of the show as we air it's a free podcast on demand each and every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your free podcast. And the happy hour is sponsored by our friends at the Finnish Long Drink. Refreshing, crisp, delicious, especially when it's hot out. TheLongDrink.com is their website. They are exploding in popularity, expanding across the country. You can find out where the product is sold near you or order online, which is what I do. TheLongDrink.com, 21 plus only. Always drink responsibly. With me now is Ben Shapiro, editor emeritus of TheDailyWire.com, host of The Ben Shapiro Show. He's a New York Times bestselling author. New book out today, The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. Ben, good to talk to you again. Hey, good to talk to you, Guy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, although when I read elements of your book, and I've skimmed through some of it, it's hard to really feel like I'm embracing the happiness in our happy hour because <laughs> it's a fairly disturbing thesis. And part of the reason that I'm dyspeptic is I think you're broadly correct. Give folks just the elevator pitch for the authoritarian movement and what you're arguing. Uh, so in the authoritarian moment, I'm basically arguing that we all, and I mean pretty much everyone in the country with the exception of people on the far political left, we feel as though we are being ostracized from mainstream society. We have all of the major institutions arrayed against us. It feels as though corporations are arrayed against us. The universities are arrayed against us. The media and social media are arrayed against us. Even our supposed scientific authorities are arrayed against us. And in the authoritarian moment, I talk about why that has happened, why it is that so many of these institutions have been renormalized and how they were renormalized. I also talk about how to fight back against that and re-renormalize the institutions or bring them back to normal. But, you know, the, the simple fact that people on the right feel under assault, that is substantiated by some pretty significant evidence. I mean, the fact is that all of the major institutions of the society are now being wielded against people who don't engage in the sort of group thing the left wants us to engage in. And again, every by poll data, every single subgroup in the United States feels it with the exception of the radical left that's in control of it. And the radical left, they're sort of safe until they're not. This is what's kind of fascinating about the dynamics over there. If you stick with every single rule and the rules change constantly, then you're safe. But the moment you wander off the script, they turn on each other, right? The revolution eats itself is the old phrase, and it is playing out in technicolor. It's, it's very obvious. It happens all the time. Some of the converts, frankly, to at least old-school liberalism, if not conservatism, are leftists who have gotten burned by this. That's exactly right. I think the, the key to understand about the changing rules, which we feel every single day, right? One day you say something like, this is completely inoffensive. And then within a week, it just radically changes into something offensive. So, for example, Amy Coney Barrett uses the term sexual preference in a, in a Senate hearing. And literally that day, Maisie Hirono says, you know, that's an offensive term. And then dictionary.com changes the term sexual preference to refer to how it's offensive. 
<laughs> so the, the rules are, are malleable and shifting ad infinitum. But the shifting is the point, right? Well, and, and by the way, just, just one other example system. that I've enjoyed recently is when Mary Catherine Hamm and I wrote End of Discussion, sort of on some similar themes six years ago, we listed this lexicon of left-wing terminology to help people understand what they were what they were saying and what they meant and what the rules supposedly were at the time. And one of the terms that we singled out was triggering and trigger warning. And now that is, in fact, triggering unto itself because of gun violence. They can't say it anymore. So that's been stricken from the woke dictionary for its own new sinful nature. I mean, it it spins your head. It's insane. And, and it's the spinning of the head that's the phenomenon they're looking for. The goal is to make you dizzy, not to be consistent. And I think conservatives make a fairly large scale mistake when we say, well, you know, their standards are just inconsistent. Yes, of course their standards are inconsistent. Right? Every single major leftist argument has is ripe with inconsistency. But that's the whole point. You're supposed to hold two completely opposing thoughts in your head at the exact same time. Like you're supposed to believe, for example, that gender is both a social construct and completely immutable. Right? You're supposed to believe that race is both a social construct, but also racial essentialism is real. These are things that are in direct contravention of one another. And yet, if you don't hold both of those thoughts in the same time and mirror those thoughts, then you violated the rules. And this means that we can force you to some sort of now a struggle session to keep your career. It's, the, the whole point here is not that they wish to enlighten you to a, a wiser way of viewing the world. The whole point is you obey or we will come after you. Yeah, and, and the struggle it, sessions. It's very successful. The struggle sessions really are. I think it's a perfect way of describing it, flashing back to the communist revolution in China and these bouts of self-flagellation and groveling apology, and often that is not even good enough. Ben, here's the thing, though. We've got a number of listeners here, and I hear from them regularly, who are independents, maybe left-leaning as well, and I can imagine some of the arguments that they might be formulating as they listen to the two of us talk, because we're both conservatives. One of them might be, okay, here we go. We've got Benson and Shapiro whining about the left again and all these rules and how they're targeted and just victims of everything. I thought conservatives were bootstraps people. I thought conservatives were against whining and against victimhood. What's your response to someone who might frame your argument that way? I mean, what, what I would say is that, you know, when you are actually being targeted by overtly by, by institutions, at that point, it's no longer you know, kind of self-perpetuated feelings of victimhood. At that point, you actually have to evidence the victimhood. And I think you can see that when you're talking about people actively being fired for their politics or, or being socially ostracized or being treated as, as unhuman or inhuman, rather, online for, for their particular perspective. In other words, Yes, it's a complaint. Also, it does have a solution, and that solution, one is sort of a bootstrap solution, and one is a collective action solution. This is one of the things I talk about in the book, is sort of solutions to this, not just the whining. The, the sort of bootstrap solution is, okay, so we should create alternatives. I mean, we, we have created media alternatives. We've been very successful in that sphere, conservatives have. Um, but we may have to actually do this in the realm of neutral service providers. So, for example, if PayPal decides that all of a sudden they're going to be engaging with the ADL in policing what they call, quote-unquote, hate speech, and that starts to creep outside the boundaries of sort of normal, we're going to go after actual criminal activity and into, you say a man is a man and a woman is a woman, therefore PayPal will not allow you to engage in in service. Well, then we're going to have to start our own PayPal. Is that my ideal? No. I would much prefer the sort of second solution that I propose, which is that people mobilize on behalf of neutrality. I think there has to be, there, there's no such thing as a radical moderate, which is one of the great tragedies of politics, but there has to be uh, at least a coalition of people ranging from the 
moderate left to the conservative right yep. who say it's important for us to have these neutral spaces. And if you're not going to engage in neutrality, well, then we're going to be just as intransigent and just as loud as the radical left has been. What's really happened here is that a very small percentage of the population has mobilized massive institutions by relying on the both apathy and risk aversion of a lot of people who are in the middle and don't and really fear. want to fight. Well, and fear. For sure. For sure. And but but the fear really wouldn't even be the factor if there weren't so many people who are risk averse. right? Because how can 20 percent of an organization take over the entire direction politically of a neutral organization? The answer is you've got a bunch of people in the middle who just don't want to fight. Like they think, OK, well, you know, there is really that big an ask. Is it really worth the conflict? Right. If they all just stood up at once and said, no, then this would be over pretty quickly. And you, you see that occasionally every so often. You'll just say people say it's so easy. And yet it doesn't happen. I mean, Guy, you saw the other day, I just I tweeted out, I think it was yesterday, that if you actually want to end polarization in the country, we can all do something very quickly, okay? We can all go online, all of us, right, left, center, pick somebody who voted differently than you, say they're a nice person, and that you enjoy reading their work. Okay, and I had probably dozens of conservatives who immediately started tweeting out people who are center or center left or even far left. I don't know of anybody on the left who did it about anybody on the right, which sort of demonstrates where things are at this moment. Ben, let's pause right there. I want to follow up on that. Ben Shapiro on The Guy Benson Show. More with Ben right after this break. It is the happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. My guest is Ben Shapiro. New book out today, The Authoritarian Moment. And Ben, you were just talking about some solutions in terms of pushing back against the mob, quite frankly. This second solution that you mentioned, you and I have talked about this privately, offline, and it's not something that I am really inclined towards in terms of disposition or worldview. I don't like the idea of counter-boycotts and collective action and hounding people, but I'm sort of there because there have been a few different episodes that radicalized me, one of which was Major League Baseball and the All-Star Game robbing it from Atlanta for no good reason. And it's like, okay, if they're loud, angry, marginal mob is going to be able to bully huge organizations and basically call the shots, I guess the rest of us have to figure out a way to bully them, not to do exactly what we want, just bully them into neutrality, which is your point. We don't need them to all be right-wing and doing pursuing politically conservative things. Just stay out of it. Yeah, it's right. And, and there's a great kind of case in point as to what the left wants. The left doesn't want neutrality here. And the best sort of case I know of this is there's a company called Coinbase out of Silicon Valley. And Coinbase is a, it's a platform for trading cryptocurrency. And the head of the organization, uh, who tends, I think, toward the libertarian, from what I understand, he put out an edict to his staffers that we are just not going to talk politics on the flat channels at work. It's bad for, it's bad for morale. It's bad for, you know, the, the sort of how the company operates. We're just not going to do politics at work. He got, unbelievable blowback from the left wing. 60 of his employees quit. Not because he said you have to mirror right wing positions, but because he said, we're just not going to talk politics at work. The left is, is not interested in neutral. They're, they're interested in destroying neutrality. If we have to mobilize in order to re-neutralize these, these institutions, then frankly, I don't see that we have any other choice. It was funny. And by the, the way, day, for, the, for the people who quit, let them walk like sayonara. Right, exactly. exactly. Like if, totally if you want to go and, and, and be woke in the workplace, find some ultra woke company and you can go do that and hopefully people who are either like-minded in terms of our worldview or just don't want that stuff at work they can apply for those slots and hopefully be compensated handsomely and go do good work right i mean this is how we can use the marketplace to sort of shift at least the dynamics of this fight a little bit ben let me give you another point that some people might argue and i think that there's some merit to it as well critics on the left or 
in the center saying, okay, he's calling his book the authoritarian moment. He's going after the left, and maybe he's got a few solid points there, and the left is complicit in this, but isn't the right as well? I mean, look at what just happened in the election and January 6th, and a lot of people who seem to be untethered completely to the Constitution or factual information about elections. I mean, it is sort of scary out there in certain precincts on the right where it seems like authoritarian impulses are rather strong. I know you address it a little bit in your book, but just for the purposes of this conversation and people listening who might want to pick up the book and say, okay, there's some intellectual consistency here and honesty here, what's your reply on that front? So, I mean, I begin the book with exactly that argument. The argument from the left is that authoritarianism on the right doesn't just exist. It's the existential threat to the country. And I think that there are certainly authoritarians on the right. I mean, I think January 6th was a bunch of people who are attempting to you know, overthrow the institutions of government. But the point there is that it was a giant failure. Anybody who says that January 6th was that these, these idiots who ran into the Capitol building and now are all under arrest, and this was a true threat to overthrow a 200-year-old democracy, that's insane. I'm sorry, that's just crazy. Okay, the entire thing was over within four hours, and the Republicans were voting to certify the election in the Senate. The, the real question is, what is the greater threat to you? Like, if you're worried about authoritarianism, are you more worried about idiots running into the Capitol building, or are you more worried about every major institution in society that has essentially embraced right. a quash dissent view uh, of politics. I mean, I- I'm more worried, frankly, about Amazon Web Services deplatforming de- parlor in the aftermath of January 6th than I am about failures of, of law enforcement to properly get on scene and-, and prevent people from invading the Capitol building. All those people are going to jail, but I, I am deeply well, worried. Well, and the people who fomented it and-, and told the lies that oh, yeah. led to the riot. Sure. But, and I think just to buttress your point a little bit, Ben, I am very concerned about extremism and authoritarianism and illiberalism on the right, and we see far too much of it, and I criticize it. But to underscore your point, it is much more insidious and dangerous on the left because these huge taste-making institutions in our society, from the media to culture to corporate America, they basically have the back of the illiberal forces on the left, or at least knuckle under to them. The media is often in full-throat in favor of authoritarian censorship and that sort of thing when it comes from the left, whereas all of those institutions sort of link arms passionately against right-wing authoritarianism with a lot of conservatives joining that fray and joining that battle, whereas when the, when the concerning tides are shifting in the other direction, the opposition to it, the resistance, if you will, to it, feels a little lonely sometimes. Yes, I think that's exactly right. I think that what we've seen is that authoritarianism is not unique to any one political creed. The question is whether major institutions in a society actually back it. And, and here I would actually ask the left, you know, their definition of racism is not just that, that racism is bad across the board. They say it's racism combined with power. That's really a problem. Okay, well, if authoritarianism is bad, then isn't authoritarianism combined with, with power a much greater threat than just simple authoritarianism? Like if you have a if you have an idiot online who's saying authoritarian things, or even if you have a president of the United States who says things that seem authoritarian, but then he doesn't have the institutional wherewithal to pull it off, right. is that is that more scary than entire institutions of both government and culture cramming down overt violations of rights? Right. It's it's the question. If you're opposed to authoritarianism, which of course I am, which form of it is likeliest to succeed? in its authoritarianism, given the constellation of power and influence in the country that might be prevailing. And I think to that 
question, there is one correct answer, and you've landed on it in your book, The Authoritarian Moment, which is on sale today. Ben, just a quick news of the day item. I've seen you tweeting up a storm about it. We've addressed it multiple times in the show already today. But the CDC and their new guidance on masking for children in schools, for vaccinated adults, and it seems like a lot of this is being sold as we need to protect the children, even though there's virtually no science whatsoever behind it. And yet, here we go again, and here we are. It's hard for me at this point not to think that the Center for Disease Control has, has become the Center for Totalitarian Control. There's no science to back this. I mean, none. The, uh, I was tweeting out the statistics earlier, and then people just tweet back at you, well, you don't care if people die. <laughs> okay, I yeah. just gave you the statistics. So here are the actual statistics on this sort of stuff. So the CDC just said that if you're vaccinated, you should wear masks in your home with your children if they're under the age of 12 because they can't be vaccinated. We currently have, according to that same CDC, 337 people under the age of 18 who have died from, with COVID, not from COVID, with COVID, because a lot of those people have significant underlying conditions if they're children. That, that's out of a subpopulation in the United States of 75 million people. Okay, in right. that same period of time, 810 kids have died of pneumonia. Okay, if you're talking about the risks of vaccinated people dying of COVID because of breakthrough infections, according to the CDC, again, I'm quoting their own stats, according to the CDC, 161 million Americans have been vaccinated, a grand total of 5,914 Individuals in the United States have been, diagn- have, have been hospitalized with COVID or died from COVID. Okay, that means that your chances of even being hospitalized, not, not dying, which is much lower, your chances of being hospitalized with COVID after having a vaccine are 1 in 27,223. And based on these probabilities, that you are that you, 337 out of 75 million or 1 out of 27,223, you're supposed to mask up post-vaccination? No, it's, it's total it's nonsensical bullcrap. Yeah, it's, it's complete madness. And then they wonder, you know, why is there so little regard for the experts? Why won't people listen to us? And, and I think that they just need to look right in the mirror when they ask that question, because the answer is staring at them. Ben Shapiro is editor emeritus of The Daily Wire. He's host of The Ben Shapiro Show. His new book on sale today is The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. Ben, good luck with the book. You always seem to do very well with these books, so we want to help you succeed again. And let's talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Guy. Ben Shapiro on The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. That was this week's edition of The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.